then there's a problem, isn't there? Um, are these, who put these here? These are very beautiful. Is that you? Is that, thank you so much. What's your name? Jean. Jean, thank you so much, Jean. But uh, my guess is they're not going to grow anymore because they've got an issue, haven't they, as plants? They're going to look beautiful. How long will they last, Jean? No, you don't know. I don't either. I thought you were about to tell me they were silk then and they'll last forever, but no, you didn't do that. I'm sure they're not. Um, because things, when they're live, living and rooted, grow. Uh, and that's what we expect. And that's what we should expect of our faith as well, isn't it? Um, so when Paul was writing um, in the New Testament, he criticized some believers for still wanting milk when they should have been onto solids because they should be growing, uh, they should be going deeper, their faith should be expanding, because living things grow and change. And so with those thoughts in mind, we'll start on uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, and read together. So if you have a Bible, it be good to turn there, 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're breaking in at verse 3. And this is what it says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he is being cleansed from his past sins. Now, if you're paying attention to, to God's word, as we read, maybe you have picked up where those questions came from at the beginning. And I'd like to us to think about for a few moments from these verses about how we grow, how we should grow as Christians, and in particular, the foundation for that growth. What, what is it that enables us to grow? Um, I used to be a farmer, I think many of you know that, and um, so we, I've had a little bit of experience with growing some crops. And I know that before you plant a crop, if you want it to grow, there are certain things that you need to do and to get right in the way that you prepare the soil, the, the good old farmyard manure that you add to it, the way you break it down, uh, getting it in the right weather and the right time of year, all of these things, the fertilizer you put on it, so that you prepare something and give the seed the proper foundation for growth to turn into something that is fruitful and good. So what I want us to think about just simply this evening is some of the things that give us the foundation for growth, so that we too can live growing, fruitful, and good lives. And here's that, um, as we come to verse 3, here's, here is this great promise that he starts uh, with. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Did you get that? 
Whatever you face this week, his divine power has given us everything that we need to face it. I thought that might make you smile more than it is, because you're not going to face anything this week in your life, whatever it may be, that you will have a lack of power to face. There is nothing in you as you strive for godliness that, that you won't be able to get because of a lack of power. You'll never be able to turn around with each other next Sunday and say, do you know what, on Tuesday I was really just about to do something godly and I just ran out of power and do it. And it's just not there. None of you will turn around to each other next Sunday and say, well, I, I didn't see this problem came in. It hit Thursday morning, and boy, if I'd had enough power, I could have got through it, but I didn't. Because his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I just want to move for a second from one of my favorite bits of the Bible to Peter back to another prayer which I love in Ephesians chapter 1. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul is talking about what he wants Christians to have. It's interesting how he prays. I think we've talked about it here, here together before, uh, about Bible prayers and what we pray for. Um, it's worth reading the whole prayer. But one of the things that he mentions is this, that we may know, and he talks about the hope to which we're called, and then that we may know in uh, Ephesians 1.19, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. And what do you think he's going to say then? He's talking about the divine power of God that is available to Christians. And he pauses for a moment and says, it's like, what would you say? The power that threw the sun and the moon and the stars into space? The, the power that takes leaders off of the throne and puts a new one? The, the power that runs world affairs? The power of um, creation that we see around us every day. Do you know what Paul goes for? He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Interesting, isn't it? When Paul wants to start talking about this power that is available to us in life, this power that Peter is promising to us is going to give us everything we need for life and godliness. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you mind, am I allowed to step away from the mic for a second? Can you, if I speak up, is that okay? Yeah? Come, come and help me a few if you just to try and illustrate this to you. Can you still all hear me okay if I'm here? Yeah, oh, I might stay down here, it's quite nice actually. It feels a bit clear, doesn't it? Um, so let's, um, Kev, okay, you can, do you mind stepping around, sir? And do you mind stepping out? And um, do you mind stepping out? And uh, do you mind stepping out? Uh, well, how many is that good? Because I could do about six. Uh, do you mind stepping out, Jean? I'll pick on you now, I know your name. There we are. Yeah. Um, so what, 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 oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let, we'll, we'll make some space here. Sorry, you're right behind me. Because I'm sure they'd rather look at you than me, so if you come up there as well. So th this is how it begins, okay? They, do you remember the, the Easter story? Jesus died on a cross, and then uh, Nicodemus and Joseph came, and they took his body down, and they laid it in a tomb. Uh, and they wrapped him up, and they put him in there. And then what they did next was they, they took a stone, and they wrapped it, uh, across the, the entrance 
So that there was no one could mess with it, and no one could uh, go in or out. And Jesus' body lay cold and dead in that tomb. And then the Romans came and they placed a seal over that stone. And that seal carried with it all the authority of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire on earth at the time, possibly the greatest empire that um, had ever been seen to that point. So all the authority of Rome, including a good bunch of hearty soldiers, came and they sealed it up so that it was done. And we know that inside there that the wages of sin is death. And so all the power of death, too, bore down on Jesus. He was dead when they placed him in there. And people don't walk away from death. And so Jesus was in that tomb, sealed up, shut, dead, and then Gene, if you would. Because we know there was more than that. Because it, he had gone to death bearing the sins of all of us. And the wages of sin is death. And so someone bearing sin had been laid in a coke-dark tomb and um, sealed in. And we know that behind that, it wasn't just about, let's put one underneath here, we'll keep a good, good seal on it. Um, we know that as well as that, there was all the power of Satan. All the spiritual forces of this dark world. Satan was up unaware, he knew what Jesus had promised. And so he fought with all of his might. To put Jesus in that grave and keep him there. And, and of course we have as well the power of the grave, don't we? The people did not walk away from him. Jesus was in there and for three days he was there from the, the Friday night until the Sunday morning. And then some women came. And if we just take away um, the grave for a second and, and sin and, and everyone. And, and at last they came and do you know what they wondered? As they arrived, uh, gentlemen, if you just move back around. They thought, what are we going to do about the stone? Because we want to go and see Jesus' body and anoint it. But when they arrived, incredibly, the stone had gone, the seal had gone. And, um, and they were able to walk in and look. And when they looked, Jesus was gone. And I know thinking, but it's not there either. Um, because, thank you ever so much. There is no power on earth that can hold Jesus Christ. He'd gone. He'd gone. And so when Paul comes to Ephesians, he writes um, these verses and says, Guys, I want you to know the power that is yours. It's like the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, where God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The one who took Jesus Christ from being a dead corpse held down by every power that sin and death and hell could throw at him and put him at the right hand of the Father Paul writes and says I want you to know that power is yours in Great Parks in Paynton this week and I want you to know says Peter that his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness of course it has I mean who could need more power than that history changing power that God has made available to us. You have no need of more power, and neither do I. What we actually need to learn to do is tap into what we've got.
and realize that that is one of the foundations of our Christian lives. And alongside that, he writes on, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay? And through these, he has given us very great and precious oops, oops. There we are, promises. He has given us very great and precious promises. Now, the scripture is full of promises, isn't it? Uh, of what God has promised to us. And um, these two next points really sort of blend together a bit. Because we read on that, so that through them, through these promises, you may participate in the divine nature. We'll think about what that means. But what we find out already is that these promises are to do with us participating in the divine nature. Something about us knowing God and his nature in our lives. And so we could spend the evening and probably several evenings going through thinking of the promises that are, that are, are ours. Um, but for tonight, let's just think about the promises that God gives to us that help us to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, because that's what verse 4 refers to. And um, we think of promises like in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains, if a man abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. There's a promise that when we remain in God, when, if you like, we participate in the divine nature, when we are, are one with God, when we abide in the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit, then he promises that we will bear much fruit. I yearn to be fruitful in my life because that's what God has called us to. Um, we can move on. John 16, verse 7. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It's another promise that God gave, uh, that Jesus gave to, to his disciples. That he would send the Holy Spirit. Why? Why are we picking up this promise? So that we can participate in the divine nature. So that we can know God in us. Uh, and the New Testament is just full of great uh, promises and facts about who we are uh, and what we can do because of God and his Holy Spirit within us. When you were dead in your sins, says Colossians 1.13, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. It's a statement, if you like, but it's also a promise, isn't it? Of life in Christ. And then I, I just... Drop in a couple of other promises and statements about who we are. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there in Rome 8 as well. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Great promises about who we are and what we have in God. And through these great and precious promises, through... Through them, you may, thirdly then, participate in the divine nature. The Christian life, I expect I've said to you before, um, is not what we do for God, but what God does through us. 
And the same Holy Spirit that came and empowered Jesus Christ in his life here on earth is the same one who is available to us today. That's what the promises are promising, that he would come, that he would be with us, that he would be in us. And it's a, a wonder, it's incredible that God should live in us that way. And it's hard for us to understand or take in. Um, Samuel Logan Brengel, uh, a great saint of God from many years ago, wrote this, and I must have quoted this as much as anything else over the years. I love it. He said this, If you ask how the Holy Spirit can dwell within us and work through us without destroying our personality, I cannot tell. How can electric impulses fill and transform a dead wire into a live one which you dare not touch? How can a magnetic current fill a piece of steel and transform it into a mighty force which by its touch can raise tons of iron as a child would lift a feather? How can fire dwell in a piece of iron until its very appearance is that of fire and it becomes a firebrand? I cannot tell. Now what fire and electricity and magnetism do in iron and steel the Holy Spirit does in the spirits of men who believe on Jesus, follow him wholly, and trust him intelligently. He dwells in them and inspires them till they are all alive with the very life of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We might not understand the science of electricity passing through metal or of fire heating metal until it glows. We just see it happen. That is the promise, isn't it, of the Holy Spirit as we participate in the divine nature. It doesn't mean we become God, but it means that God comes in us and fills us and works through us and sets us on fire. It's incredible that we are able to talk using language like this. So many billions have lived and died thinking that what they have to do is perform in their own strength for a God if he's up there. But we know the truth and the reality that the promise of God is the Holy Spirit will come and live within us. That we can participate in the divine nature. That something divine, something godly will come to live within us. Within you tonight, if you know and love the Lord Jesus. God lives in you. His power is there to change your life and to help you to grow. And then we read on. For this very reason, because of who you are and because of all that you have, for this very reason, make every effort. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, if you've ever grown, even if you've got an apple tree in the garden, um, do you make every effort to have apples? Don't there are any of you head out in sort of September and squeeze the tree, do you? You know, trying to get an apple out. Um, it, it's not how we get fruit. But bearing a fruit is the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? Um, it just happens. Um, but we do have to give it the right conditions. Uh, and so a plant might be watering or feeding or something in order for the most natural of things to happen. There's a, a, a wonderful um, sort of pairing up here of making every effort, but also of letting nature take its course. 
And actually, when we think about these things that are, if you like, fruits of the Holy Spirit, of what God does in us, because we participate in the divine nature, there's this wonderful pairing of us making every effort to allow God to do what he can do in our lives, to make ourselves available to him, to know him, to be with him, to give him the opportunity to work within us. So we'll just look um, briefly at this list of of what we have as we sort of head towards the end uh, tonight. So make every effort to add to your faith. Is your faith growing? Um, Do you do anything? Do you make any effort so that your faith grows? I, I'm, this is, sorry, do as I say, not as I do. I'm rubbish at journaling and writing a diary. I try every so often uh, to get some thoughts down. But I know there's a huge blessing in um, recording thoughts of prayers, you know, to help your faith to grow, to reading biographies, to sharing in church about what God is doing in your life. And sometimes I think we ask, you know, for prayer requests and we've, we pray for people in need. It's really good if we come back and just share in our churches and make time for that, of answer prayers, of what God has done, and, and share those moments, take time to give testimony to one another of what God is doing. It helps our faith grow. helps our faith grow to hear and to see what God is doing in this world. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness so that we grow in the goodness of God and to our goodness knowledge. Hey, are you still growing in your knowledge of God? Are you taking time to take in and to study God's word, read Christian books, to listen to messages, maybe podcasts these days as well? They, have they reached Paynton now? Yeah, they have, yeah. So, you know, to, to be able to take in and keep our knowledge of him growing. And then to add to our knowledge, self-control, which is actually a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If we have time, we could go to Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, the bit, love, joy, peace, patience. And it ends actually with self-control. So it's not something we don't have to squeeze and try and force it out. It is about abiding in him and the fruit comes. We make every effort to give the fruit chance to grow. And then the most natural thing happens, the Holy Spirit produces in us self-control and the other fruits. And to add to self-control, perseverance. How do you get perseverance? Do you know what the Bible says? Um, We better have a look. (laughs) Romans chapter 5 says this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Yeah. It's often through the tough times, isn't it, that we learn to, to dig in and to keep going. Um, I saw just at the end of, I know we're on to Wimbledon now, but at the end of the, I think it was the Australian Open, the tennis match, um, uh, above, on the sort of, um, underneath the seats is this big painted sign that says victory belongs to the tenacious, which I thought was really good, above their centre court, if you like, in Australia. Um, victory belongs to the tenacious, to those that keep going, to those that don't give up. And it's times of hardship, isn't it, that often build in us the ability to persevere 
to keep going. And to add to our perseverance, godliness. And you know you've got enough power for godliness, don't you? We've already read it tonight. His divine power has given us everything we need in life and godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And then we come to what I promised you at the beginning, our formula. You ready? Verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When these things are growing in us, the promise of God is this. When they are growing in increasing measure equals not living a life that's ineffective and unproductive. It guards us against that. Peter's formula for, for what we all said right at the beginning of this evening, or, or at least my, my short talk with you, is this. That when we are growing in these things, we won't be ineffective and unproductive. And that's what we wanted, wasn't it? A formula that we could follow that would enable us to live lives that are effective and productive, that are worth something, that have something to show that are fruitful. And notice it doesn't say when you reach a certain amount of love, godliness, brotherly kindness, faith, then you suddenly start to be effective and, and productive. It doesn't say that. What it says is, is if you are growing in them, increasing measure. So you might only have a little bit of faith, but the formula says this, if you've got a little bit of faith that's growing, it will stop you being ineffective and unproductive. You might have only got a little bit of love in your heart or a little bit of self control but if it's growing, this is the formula that Peter gives us. If it's growing, it will stop you being ineffective and unproductive. That appears to me to be the key to what he's saying to us. However long we've been on the journey, it's moving forward that matters. And it's a wonderful promise that the world simply doesn't have. This idea of knowing that our lives are worth something, that they are effective, productive, working towards a purpose that won't fade, that won't disappear. Let me finish just with one, one uh, story. Um, I'm not particularly recommending you watch this film. Uh, it was just really interestingly made. Um, it's a, a, a film called Boyhood that um, I think won an Oscar back in 2014. And the director, Richard Linklater, uh, had a very interesting way of making this movie. Um, he made it over 12 years. And he started with the boy that you can see on the pit when he was about four or five years old. And every year he came back and filmed a bit more of the story. So you actually physically got to see the boy grow up. Uh, through the movie. I can't say, I, it was an interesting film. I don't particularly recommend it. I wasn't enthralled by it. But it was a very interesting way of making a film. And literally saw this boy and his family growing up and then they made a story around it and you saw all the ups and downs of family life and, and everything that um, they went through. 
Nearly at the end of the film, there was a scene where the boy was packing to go off to college, and that was pretty well the, the last bit of the, the story. He'd finished his boyhood and was leaving home. And at that stage, he was just living at home with his mum. And he was lifting boxes of his stuff around and um, getting ready to go, and she was sat in the kitchen watching him. And um, he looked over and saw that she looked a bit upset. And he said to her, what's wrong? And she said, I'm seeing my life in a series of snapshots. I remember getting married, having your sister, having you, teaching you to ride a bike. The time we thought that you were diabetic, getting divorced, seeing your sister go to college, getting remarried, getting divorced again. And so she went on. And then she paused for a moment and said, do you know what's next? My funeral. And she was looking upset, and like teenage boys, he was a bit uncomfortable, he didn't quite know what to say or do, and said, Mum, I think you're jumping ahead by about 40 years. And in the story, she bowed her head at the kitchen table and sat there for a long, long pause. And then said this, I just thought there would have been more. In some ways, I think it's one of the most powerful lines I've ever seen in a movie. As this woman just watched her life going through at various stages. And then looked to the future and realized somewhere up ahead was her funeral. And just thought there would have been more. If we have a foundation like God has given to us, the divine power that is there for us, the promises to actually participate now in the divine nature of God, him living within us. And then we take his promises, this formula of growth, of walking with him, abiding in him and growing in these qualities. We are promised lives that will be effective and productive. None of us need ever get to the end and say, I thought there would have been more. Because in Jesus Christ, we have purpose. In Jesus Christ, we have meaning. In Jesus Christ, we don't get to the end and think, well, I've accumulated all this stuff, and now it's up to my kids to take it to the charity shop because they're putting me in a box. Instead, we go on to a life where our treasure is in heaven for all eternity when nothing can take it from us. Do you realize how blessed you are if you know Jesus tonight? We have a purpose and a meaning, a reason for being here that the world just doesn't have. And while so many people that you meet in Paynton this week, if you got around to really talking to them, I wonder how many would say, I just thought there'd have been more. And you know what that more is. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we are so blessed to know him, aren't we? Amen.